Yo 
Let's sing Strength Will Rise. Strength. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Our God, you reign forever. Our hope, our strength. Devoted like a ring of solid gold. 
song um, has a really bold prayer in it. It's going to be familiar to you. The prayer says, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, and then my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior.
And I say this is such a bold prayer because I really believe that if every one of us prayed this with genuine authenticity and that we would go wherever he calls, not just in our little safe bubbles, but wherever he calls, I think it would radically transform our lives and our church and our community. I had a visual of this, of this song that some of you might remember because we, we came to the same conference that was streamed here a few years ago. So you might remember this, this visual if you, were, if you were there. But this speaker was talking about this song and he was kind of singing this bridge in kind of a funny way. And as the, the camera kind of pans down to him, he's like splashing in a kiddie pool singing this song, still lead me with my trust. You can imagine, it was kind of, it was funny, but the point being how silly to pray that prayer while we splash in water that won't even drown us. Because the whole point is that as he calls us to places, only he can sustain us. It's scary and it's deep and it's unknown, but that's where his glory is made known and that his power is what works in and through us. It's none of our strength, none of our glory, none of our doing, but him alone. And it can only be shown in the deep. So can we pray this prayer this morning, church? Can we pray it together? Can we boldly sing it? Maybe you can just shake it in your boots. That's fine. Maybe you need to come to the altar and sing it at the altar. Maybe you need to just listen to the, the prayers and faith of, of the people in your community that are singing it and praying it. But let's sing it together, can we? You call me out upon the waters, the great unknown, where my feet may fail. It's there I find you in the mystery, in oceans deep, my faith will stay. Abounds in deepest waters, your sovereign hand will be my guide. Where feet may fail and fear surrounds me, you've never failed, and you won't start
here's the prayer church. Let's sing it together. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. Then my faith would be made stronger in the presence of my sin. Let's sing it again. It's a song I didn't used to like. <laughs> the more I hear it, the more I see the lyrics, the more it resonates. So maybe you're dealing with some waves today. Know that our God is there. Just as he was there when Peter sank and took his eyes off Jesus, he hears our cries. Ready to meet with us this morning. Let's go to him today. Father, you're faithful in all the seasons of our lives. You, you work in advance of our struggles, our challenges, of our valleys. You're bigger than the waves. Lord, we just thank you today. Acknowledging there's times, many times actually, when thank you seems inadequate. Yet it's all we have to give. Our thanks, our praise, our worship. That's what we've come to do today is to worship you. To, to allow you the space that you need, Lord, to speak into our hearts, into our lives, to change us, to continue shaping us, uh, to help us take that next step in our journey. The beauty of it, we come from many different places. Uh, but Lord, you are able to meet with us right where we're at to help us. Lord, we hallow your name today. We lift you up. We worship you. 
It seems counterintuitive when we come heavy, when we come weary, when we come struggling. We want you to lift us up, Lord, and sometimes that's how we approach it. But what we fail to often recognize and realize is by lifting you up, you become bigger than our problems, bigger than our giants, bigger than the waves surround us. You, Lord, continue to be our Savior, our salvation. Spiritually, Lord, physically, emotionally, mentally, relationally, God, you are the one who redeems, who saves, who puts back together, who reconciles, who helps. Whatever other ways might be represented in this place this morning, our act of worship begins with us recognizing who you are and then responding to that. But Lord, we want to see you not the things in front of us, not the ones beside us, but we want to see you. We want to worship you. Because, Father, you are worthy of our worship. God, we thank you for that. Beautiful thing about even all of this conversation we're having right now is that you're just getting started in our lives. There's still so much more for us to experience, so much more of you for us to know. You're not going to leave us nor forsake us. You don't drift away from us, Father. Yet you continually call, seek to draw us close. Lord, I pray as we learn more about you, we will learn more about ourselves. And recognize your hand in shaping us into who you want us to be. Thank you for the time we have to be together today with one another and with you. Part of a beautiful faith family, Lord flawed, broken, messed up people that you have seen fit to come and bring back together, piece back together, Lord, in all the ways that you can for your glory. Lord, be honored, be satisfied, Lord, be pleased with our time together this morning. It's all for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. A few weeks ago, we started a conversation about Engaging in God's dirty work, getting our hands dirty in his fields, preparing, if you are anticipating, the harvest that's before us. And perhaps you've noticed the bean fields are quickly getting cleared, uh, the corn's almost ready, so it's, it's just a busy time for those that engage in that type of work in our community. But it's also work for the church to always be willing and ready to anticipate the harvest, to get our hands dirty. And our conversation began with the recognition that it's not something we choose to do, but rather what the Holy Spirit does in us, before us, in preparation for what God has for us. These are his fields. We are his workers, and he sends us to the, in the right places at the right time to the right people that we can, if we're willing, impact, touch, and draw closer to him. We then talked about the, the need for us to be willing to engage in spiritual conversations, which admittedly is not always easy for us to do. To, to put ourselves in a place where we perhaps have to share a story that maybe we ourselves don't see the value or the power in, yet trusting that the Holy Spirit works ahead of us. Just the right time, just the right person, God has something that your life can communicate to someone else. These are truths that I think are important for us as we continue to talk about being workers in his harvest field. So we're at times really good about doing things, about helping people, feeding people, clothing them. Those are important things for us to do. 
Uh, but the, the harder part for us, I believe, at times is to engage with them with the truth of what Jesus has done in each of our lives, sharing our stories. Last Sunday, uh, Dwayne Mills came and shared with us. I hope you enjoyed his story. God uplifted him from a very successful position at a, at a university. He could have been comfortable doing, uh, working for the Lord in that context, but God called Dwayne and said, I want you to go back to Turkey Creek, Kentucky. I don't know many of you are thinking, I'm sure glad God didn't ever say that to me. But maybe he's wanting you to go somewhere else, to be somewhere else. As Dwayne challenged us, are we willing to put our yes on the table before God even asks the question? Those are questions we need to ask ourselves because that really determines if we really do care about or how much we care about those who are lost. Or whether or not we truly do anticipate the harvest that's before us. We're going to continue to talk about lost people. And, and you, you may remember the story that, 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 that Dwayne played for us about Jimmy Dale. Jimmy Dale. His addictions. But his struggles. And God and his incredible creativity is added to my story this week when it comes to those elements, those, those life choices and, and people you might interact with. He's so creative. And I'll, I'll share that story when the time is right. But the time's not right for that story yet today. But instead, God's put another story in front of us this morning that I want you to hear. I talked several months ago now with, with a friend named Cindy, Cindy Lee. She's been a part of our church for, for longer than I've been here. You recognize her. You'll get to a little bit more about her story today. But what I love about what she's going to share, part of it is, and, and as, as you appreciated your pastors today, we certainly thank you for that. This, this is one of the most awkward days of, of my ministry every year. Is, uh, you, you appreciate us all the time. I don't, I don't need a month for that, but... Um, it is what it is, so thank you for that. And it's awkward because of this. Scripture calls us, we, we are all part of the priesthood of believers. We, we all have a calling. And yes, I, I have a, a title, which I hate titles too, but, but I, I'm called pastor, and I get that. I recognize God's work and the significance of that. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But we all have this calling to be part of the priesthood of believers, to share our stories, to share God's story with others. I feel at times that's all I do is just share God's story with, with you and with others. So while it's Pastor Appreciation Month, I want you to know we, as your pastors, we appreciate you because you are part of what we do. We, we couldn't do what we do without people. I've often joked that ministry would be so much easier if it wasn't for people. <sighs> but alas, there would be no ministry if it weren't for people. So I'm glad we're in this together. I want to invite Cindy to come we're going to have a conversation this morning. I want you to hear her story, and I think you're going to be challenged, encouraged. I think you're going to grow a little bit if you receive what it is that God's put upon her heart this morning. I think it's funny that you introduced me as Cindy. My mom has been the one who called me My name is Cindy. Well, okay. But it's okay. Thank you. Because I think that's a sign. <laughs> After what I share today, you know, a new name that used to be an old name might be appropriate. So please call me Cindy. All right. Thank you. <clears throat> you know, Pastor Brian and I were talking about a ministry that's near and dear to my heart. And when we started talking, it just flowed out of me about how I got there, you know, and, and the path I've taken. And, you know, part of it was he was interested, and the other part was is it just need to get out of me. And, and I felt like you needed to hear it. Um, the curious thing was, um, you know, how 
looking backwards, some very insignificant points made it all happen, you know? Kind of like you coming here, and James and I had been watching your feed on the internet long before we even knew we needed a pastor. <clears throat> and, you know, it's just kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, awesome how God puts people in our lives right when we need them, even though we don't know we need them. Um, so, you know, I wanted to, he asked me to, and I wanted to share with you my story. Um, I try to write it going forwards because all stories start within the beginning, right? Even the greatest book starts within the beginning. Right. <laughs> it wouldn't go. So I think, um, you know, and the fact that I feel very unprepared and that we're going to go backwards and I'm going to be uncomfortable, I, I really feel like God has something in this, and it's important to see it looking back. Um, Sometimes I get too in the details and too time. Sometimes I oversimplify things. But it's hard, I think, sometimes when we look forward to see where this is going to go and how this is going to turn out. You know, things don't make sense. Um, you know, you had a lot of kids to move. You had to get a whole new address. Um, sometimes things don't make sense. You know, and sometimes God gives us things and we seem so established and then all of a sudden those things are gone or it has to change. You might not want it to change, but it has to change. And when you feel that way and you feel confused, the best way to move forward is to look backwards. And um, in my life that has been the case for me, you know, looking backwards to see all the places where they were milestones, really, you know, maybe insignificant, but still milestones all the same. Um, and then you start to see where Jesus was present, you know, where he saved you from something um, or, or where he moved in your life. And things changed, not maybe the way you thought they would, but they did change for the better. Um, so... Some of you may not, actually most of you may not know me. I've only been in this church for a couple years, before you, but only a couple years, so a lot of you don't know me. Um, I've lived in the area for over 25 years. Um, we came here um, looking for a new church. Um, we love the church. We love our church family. Um, we love especially that you love the things we love, you know, missions and ministries and um, babies and senior citizens and um, the Hope Center. That's a ministry near and dear to my heart. They had no home, and you folks gave them shelter, and that was big to us. Um, my husband is James. Um, he's um, a very important person in my life, obviously, and um, and I have four awesome children. Each of them are unique and different. They're 37, 36, 32, and 17. Yeah. Um, James. Uh, James is an amazing guy. You only see him here every other Saturday because he works. Um, he'll tell you he's not amazing. Um, he was in the Navy. He was in the Gulf War, the first one, and um, he was a 
firefighter. He's retired firefighter EMT, and now he's been an emergency room nurse for 17 years. Um, he has a master's in ministry. Ministry is really big to him, um, missions. Um, he's taken lots of missions trips, and he's taken me on a lot of missions trips. Um, he really is a superhero. He would do anything for anyone. Um, for a long time, he operated in his superhero village, and I worked in mine. And, uh, you know, we did all the things, lots of things. Um, and then one day, I couldn't do my things. You know, I found myself being strong, sitting on the pier waiting for his ship to come home lots yeah. of times, even before the war, and it was really terrifying after the war. You know, we hadn't had a war or a major conflict for a long time. Um, not in my lifetime. Um, I've stood at the firehouse waiting for the truck to come back, smell the smell of burning corn or an old, old house that's no longer on his clothes when he came back. Um, I've stood on the front porch as the water and the road flooded and came over the curb and lapped up on the porch. And he's not home because he's got to go around and with the fire department and disconnect everyone's electric to make sure that the houses don't burn down. And I've got to deal with the kids in the basement all by myself, you know. Wherever the husband goes, the wife goes too. Um, I could handle all those challenges. Uh, you know, and when we went to Honduras on my first medical missions trip, he was an expert. He'd done it lots of times. The day we were standing in customs, and they insisted I take off my hat because they want to make sure I'm not smuggling illegal vegetables or seeds into the country, you know, or something. Um, you know, it just, you know, you go where you need to go, and you do what you need to do. But then one day I couldn't do those things, and, and it was a struggle. I think the first thing many people notice about you is your hat. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sometimes I wear little beanies because they're comfortable. Other times I wear hats, and sometimes they match my clothes, and sometimes they don't. And they're fun. I wear a hat because I have no hair, and I can't be bald and naked in public. I mean, how rude. Um, it does bother me to be in a building, or like, especially when there's prayer or the national anthem to be wearing a hat, but it's better than to be bald. Um, you know, I woke up one morning and James's hair was white and mine was gone. I d we didn't know how it happened and we didn't have insurance to, you know, or a doctor that cared enough to pursue it, you know. Um, <clears throat> it just kind of happened. Um, one doctor supposed it was because, this is what he told me, uh, I had bad metabolism and all the other things he said with it basically said it's because you eat too much sugar and it's because you're fat um, that's how it felt and I'm sure that's what he meant um, another doctor said it had something to do with scarring of the follicles um, you know I I could belabor it and I could dig into it <clears throat> does it bring my hair back no does it change who I am? No. Um, every now and then someone will smile at me, and I know it's because they think I have cancer, because I lost my eyebrows too last year. Um, and, it, and I feel bad, because I don't want people to worry about me. Don't worry about me. 
But I kind of like those smiles because in that moment, the Christ in my heart is meeting the Christ in their heart. Um, and I like it when people say, I love your hat. <laughs> because every girl wants to be pretty. I'd rather it be with hair, but it, it's okay. You know, it, it's now a part of who I am and I can't belabor it. So I'm sorry I wear a hat in church and I won't be taking it off during prayer. <laughs> <laughs> just because small children turn and stare and they're confused and it will just embarrass you. Um, but, you know, I used to have this resolve to be really strong. I wore the wig <clears throat> and eventually it got expensive and I felt like that wasn't where God wanted me to put the family's budget. James, of course, loves me and he would say, whatever you want, dear. You know, sometimes I would say, do you love me? Just because I need to hear it. And he'll say, how much is it going to cost? <laughs> it's like, I don't operate in that space. I don't do that. But, um, but I used to have this resolve where I could be strong and, and, and I could fix the things and I could cover over them. And then just one day, all of a sudden, um, I couldn't do that anymore. I didn't have inside of me what I needed. I had faith. I knew Jesus. It was a long road for me to get there. And every time I thought I was there, he revealed, you're not there yet. Um, you know, the parable of being pruned, it hurts. It hurts bad. I feel like that's all I've done has been pruned. But I think we all have. I'd like to be done, really. I'd like to be done pruning, but I think if you're done being pruned, you're done breathing, too. So I, I don't quite want to be there yet. Um, but something happened in my life that you're going to let me know when I'm running out of time, sure. right? All right, um, where, where everything kind of just snapped. And um, it was during the pandemic. I know a lot of people felt challenges through the pandemic. People lost their businesses, lost their jobs. Some had to move. Um, I was blessed. I had a job that they were going to allow me to do from home. And I had leadership in my work that encouraged us and helped us. Um, I worked for a, a great state agency. I'm trying to be completely vanilla. I want to leave all the names out because this is not a story about me or anybody else, but it's about what God did, and I don't want it to be um, missed. Um, the, the director of my agency that I worked for is an amazing man, and everyone he has picked on his team is amazing, and they kept us encouraged and motivated. Um, and I was told one day, the governor has asked for staff to lead a very difficult project, and I told him you were for it. I was so tickled for the vote of confidence and immediately felt completely incompetent for it. Um, God got me through it um, as I struggled with it, working round the clock, um, doing it in my sleep. Um, it was a lot of ugliness that I was not used to having in my life. You know, of people resisting and, and not wanting to move forward as fast as we, you know, people not seeing the big picture. Um, it really became stressful. And all of a sudden, the resolve that I had, that everyone around me saw in my life, the resolve that the director saw in me that made him put me out there, um, 
I'm going to tell you, it was fake. I paid a lot of money in therapy to be told that it comes from somewhere, so it's not fake. But I have to tell you, I said it all the time, I'm faking it till I make it. Um, and I've been told that that's called just carrying on. But really, the resolve I had, that I had in every situation for every person, maybe it was me, but it was only the 50% I was choosing to show everyone else. The other 50% that I never showed was my brokenness, my lack of confidence, um, my fears. My kids had actually said they never saw me cry. The first three children I raised never saw me cry. They never saw me sweat. They never saw me worried. Unfortunately, the fourth one is getting it all. <laughs> because there's no value in showing them that mother or that woman because it's not realistic. It's not sustainable. Um, so I went to my doctor and I told him I was having challenges. And that was the first time I'd ever told my doctor I'm worried about my health. Because he would tell me, you know your numbers, you know your levels, and I don't have time for that. My kids need me. I've got things to do. I've got ministry. And even ministry, I mean, you know, you can get busy in ministry and really write yourself off for the sake of ministry, and you can't do that because you're no good if you're not good, you know. You're no good to the ministry. Um, but he actually put me on medicine. I don't like medicine. I never have. Um, but he put me on medicine because I really was desperate. Now, we're sitting in a church. And I'm a Christian. And I'm going to confess that there have been many times in my life where I've told people that Jesus has what you need. But for some reason, I didn't want to bother him until it was catastrophic or it was for somebody else. For some reason, I had it in my head my problem wasn't big enough. It was like praying to win a Little League series or something, you know. It's just like, what I want is not important. When there's people who have this and people who have that and people are dealing with so much bigger things. So, I kept, kept him in my box, you know. I was serving him and I knew of him and I shared him. I believed in him. And I really did believe he could fix anything you ask for in Jesus' name, right? We, we know that. But for some reason, my issues did not arise to that level of being deserving of the ask. So in the end, I took that medicine for a very long time. Um, and my primary care doctor did not check back with me. Because, you know, it was a pandemic. Everyone was busy. And every single common, rare, and seldom ever side effect was taking place in me. I was no longer recognizable. And my husband, who works in the ER, you know, he's busy every day looking down the throats of different people trying to tell them if they have COVID um, every night coming home and coming in through the garage so he could take his scrubs off and the garage and 
come in and hope and pray that the family doesn't get it, he doesn't get it. It was very stressful. And it didn't help the fact that I had become somebody else. But because he was busy and the kid was worried and I was busy and it was very natural for me to be up all hours of the day and grumpy and yelling on the phone at people. It was so out of my character. No one noticed I completely changed in front of their faces. I was agitated, grumpy, crying, sad and mad. Was passing out. I would get nauseous. My diabetes got really bad. I have type 2 diabetes. It got really bad. Um, I started obsessing about things. I, I, I was unrecognizable. And, and it got so bad, I don't even remember some of the things that I, that I did or how I was. I don't even remember those things. And that's the only good thing to really come out of that is that it made it so I could no longer go back to that muscle memory of faking it till I made it. I've got to work myself out. We saw a doctor, and it turned out that one of the rare um, side effects of this medicine, in addition to um, hypomania and psychosis, was liver failure. Um, I really wish I had asked Jesus to solve my problems first. I'm not saying medicine is bad. I take a ton of it now. It was a blessing. It's been a blessing. James manages my life now because I can't remember things. I also have um, hepatic encephalopathy. I'm learning these things. Don't I sound intelligent? Um, I get cloudy and I forget things. I get really tired. There's lots of things I can't eat. You may even see me do this bit since where I hold and rub. I'm not pregnant. <laughs> I told my husband, I said, I feel like I'm stroking a baby, but really I'm just trying to get everything to quit hurting. Um, my 17-year-old daughter, you know, she knows now that things are very different and I've had to be very transparent with her. She knows I'm not managing things. And she knows daddy is managing me more than I've ever allowed anyone to manage me. Um, that's who I was. This is who I am now. I need people. I need church. I need Jesus. I, I need him. Um, he takes care of my appointments, um, my medicines. and um, oh, We go see a cardiologist, a gastrologist, uh, dermatologist, oncologist, least favorite part. Um, I, I can't even keep track of the appointments. I, it's just, you know, in, in all the meds and, but. Um, you left off rheumatologist. Oh yes, my rheumatologist. That's another side effect. You can't see it, but all my joints are swelling and. You have a lot of ists in your life, obviously, what you're carrying and dealing with. I think it was so easy to get overwhelmed and discouraged in those moments of your life, but but you have a positive prognosis yeah. that's given you opportunities for some new things that God's putting in your life. Tell us a little bit about that. So, um, the doctors say that if I 
that I eat right. Green leafy vegetables and fish is not eating right, but <laughs> if I obey, which is something I've always been challenged with in my life, um, and I consider the transplant as a possibility, um, I could live 15 to 20 years. Um, the only thing is, is I get a renewal on that every six months when I have to go in to see if I have cancer yet. Because an organ not in use tends to become cancerous. So I can do this for 15 to 20 years. The, the worst part is, is that means 30 to 40 times of waiting to see. So what I've decided, as you say, moving forward, is that I have worked through so many years of doing status quo and running the rat race, thinking that I can put off to tomorrow the things I didn't get done today. You know, the glass is half full is a, is a dream, right? It's not. It really is half empty, and mine's more than half empty. And I don't have time, and I feel like my hair is on fire, and I just want everyone to know you don't have time either. Um, I heard in a book, um, I heard because I listen to my books on Audible when I'm quilting. Um, <clears throat> this book, uh, Lead Like Jesus, one of the authors said, um, he talked to a woman who was dying and, and said, what is it like to know you're dying? And she said, what is it like to think that you're going to live forever? No day is promised. Desi even asked me, she says, Mom, are you dying? And, and it was terrible for me to hear that from her. And I just was thinking of what to say. And in that moment, she says, I mean, actively dying. And I thought, oh, OK. Yeah, I have been since I was born. You know, she created that opportunity for me to say that. I have been since I was born. We all have been since we were born, been dying. It sounds terribly bleak, I know. But if we wait till we're sick or dying, we may have waited too long. I don't remember who I was before. I remember what I believed in. And I remember what I love. And I remember who I serve. I was so busy being busy. And I refuse to do that anymore. At some point in time, something has to happen that shakes us to our core and forces us to have to look at what we're doing and ask, does this contribute to where I'm supposed to be going? Or is this extra? My favorite verse, and, and Desi put it in my head when she asked me, oh, I was not going to say her name. I messed it up. Too late to edit. Um, she's a very spiritual person. She's very smart. She is definitely a blessing. Her story is amazing. But James 4, um, 14 is something I've always thought about. It's a verse that's very important to me. And now I, I realize, looking back at my milestones, you know, at the time that that came into my heart, it didn't make sense to me. And then when she said, are you actively dying? I remembered. Jesus put that in my heart a long time ago because now it's, it's something I own. Um, James 4, 14. Um, I should have great notes. I should have it memorized. <laughs> but this is I, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and vanishes. 
a mist. Your life is but a mist. That's the part I pull out of that. You know, we foolishly say that we have tomorrow and the next day and the next day. There's other scriptures that even say, do not be so foolish as to think that you can just, you know, lay out your life as if you own it. Because we don't own it. We don't own it. God gave it to us, and, and he gave us a set number of days. But I, I love the thought of it being but a mist, you know, because when you spray a mist of something, it's gone instantly. And when you set out in the morning on certain days, there's mist everywhere. But when the sun comes up, it's gone. Um, and I'm not going to live that way anymore because no day is promised. So you retired. I retired. You've got James made that happen. Stuff you're dealing with and carrying. I was so thankful that so James did that for me. Be easy to sit back and just take it easy. But yet God's put something else in front of you. You know God's steering this, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I pray that every time I'm going to talk, it's that God will just steer it because I don't want anyone to see me. I don't want you to remember me. I want you to remember what I said because that's my prayer is that God will speak to other people through me in ministry. So I have retired, and I feel so much better, and I have some energy, and I'm learning how to control things, but just blanket. I'm okay, but if I look like I'm confused, I am. But God's in control, and he's put ministry in front of me, um, and, and he's, he's going to steer me where I'm supposed to go. Um, and the really important thing that I continue to do in my move forward when things don't make sense, and I encourage all of you, if your path forward looks like it's going nowhere, when I was young and a teenager, I felt like my life was going to be nothing. Like, how does this make sense? You know, we're not rich, we're not important, we're not famous, I'm not special. You know, you know where, where is my future going to be? Um, but every now and then, God will introduce you to somebody um, that makes it all make sense. And for me, that was God introducing me to James. James led me to Christ. And I will tell you, I've spent lots of times being very busy in ministry, and I'm going to confess I'm, I'm an undercover pastor. <laughs> I have a degree in pastoral ministries from Ohio Christian University, um, and, and James has a master's in ministry. Um, but I wouldn't have done any of that if it weren't for him. You know, he led me in that direction. I did lay my pastorate down while I was not myself, but I just recently picked it up. And I think that that was why I felt like I had to tell you how I got to working with Kairos is because, and then you asked me to do this crazy thing I'm doing, but I think it's because God wanted me to have that affirmation that I'm going in the right direction. So I've picked my pastorate back up, and I'm I'm working with the Kairos Prison Ministry. And there's Florida. a lot of I mean, each other's a lot of stepping stones that have gotten to that place. But but I want I want our church faith team to understand Kairos, what it is, and where God is using those stepping stones in the in your past to bring you to this present. Tell us about Kairos maybe ways that we can be involved, how you are pursuing the lost in a very uncomfortable, unconventional place, the place that is needing hope. Did I tell you I get confused easy? Those were a lot of words. <laughs> <laughs> Just like Kairos. K 
Kairos, thank you. So um, Kairos is a prison ministry. Um, and, and the milestones, the stepping stones that, that God puts in our lives to lead us to specific places, it's so amazing. Um, I've always tried to work things out on my own. I don't recommend that. It doesn't last. It's not fun. Um, you know, I thought I was doing everything right. And one day I, again, did that word submit. That doesn't happen well for a lot of us, I imagine. And I went to a mentor and I said, I am at a loss and I feel so frustrated. I know the word. I know the scripture. I know how to implement it. I know all the places to go, all the right things to say. And I'm not feeling it. It just feels like chores. It doesn't feel like a labor of love. She says, I think you need a walk to Emmaus. And that is another ministry that's very similar to Kairos. And I tell you all this not only to point out the stepping stones, but for you to maybe who aren't on the inside at a prison to, to know what Kairos feels like. So if you've done a walk to Emmaus, it feels like that. Now, if you've not heard of a walk to Emmaus, let me back up. Um, the walk to Emmaus actually evolved out of a Cristo, I think is what it's called, um, that was a ministry um, that started in the Catholic Church. But the whole idea of the process is that it is a weekend set aside for you to have a personal experience with Christ. You don't bring your cell phone. You don't even bring your watch. You don't worry about what's for dinner. All those things are taken care of by volunteers. Volunteers who you don't realize have been praying over this Emmaus walk, this walk to Emmaus, um, for months before you even showed up with your suitcase. Um, I always thought when they said walk to Emmaus, it's like, do I need new shoes for this? You don't walk nowhere. <laughs> they host them over at the Methodist Church here in town. And um, you stay there. And through a series of talks, introducing you to different uh, types of grace that God gives us um, and choices and the choices, you know, to analyze the choices we have made and what maybe we would have liked them to look like instead. Lots of different chapel times. And then usually there's an aha moment. And sometimes that aha moment comes later after the weekend, but we do this for Kairos. After I did my walk to Emmaus, I was on fire and I was so excited. And I got lots of other people to go and, and it's not a place to go to work out your life. It's a place to go where you feel like you've gotten to the end of your Christian understanding. Does that make sense? Because if you go thinking it's gonna solve the hurt you have from something that went wrong, it's not going to happen for you. But it's where you go where you're like, I think I understand all the scripture. I think I've done everything God wants me to do. I'm at a loss of what comes next. Taking that inventory, looking at those stepping stones. And if you can't go to a walk to Emmaus, you know, engage with a Christian mentor or your pastor, um, you know, to try and figure that out. So I went back to this mentor and I said, I have enjoyed what's happened to my life since the walk to Emmaus and then being in that community because then I had my church family and then I had this whole ecumenical family um, and all these people loving on me and it was great and it made me a better mother better wife um, better Christian 
I went back to that man mentor and I said, okay, what's next? Because now I feel like I've met, you know, reached another rung. And she says, you need to volunteer for Kairos. And uh, she's a dear, sweet woman, and she had done Kairos. Kairos is the prison ministry um, that goes to uh, men's prisons, women's prisons, and even uh, youth prisons, um, not jails, prisons. These are people who are staying for a long time. Um, and oftentimes, um, you know, we always say God's presence is in lots of different things wherever two or more are gathered, right? His main address is with the incarcerated. I really firmly believe that. When you go in the gate, there is equal presence of the enemy and God, and he stands in the gap for those individuals. And we have the, we have the honor to go in and share the love of Jesus with them to win them over. Um, that environment, I just, I, I cannot, I cannot describe what it is like for those people who are behind those gates. And um, there's lots of ways to get involved. Um, I would love to take everyone to go in. Unfortunately, uh, men can only come in for closings. But women can serve on the teams. Um, I would love to do that. They do one, uh, a walk, or a walk, a weekend. They call theirs the weekend. Um, in spring and fall, and I am going to go in Thursday, and that starts the fall uh, weekend. I'll be there Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, the next one will be in spring. Um, there's an, another way, and, and I wish we could do this for everyone, but it, it's past time because you have to plan this all in advance. But in spring, um, there's a possibility for anyone, and I'm so thankful you're doing this for me, um, to fill out an application in order to have a background check just to come in and see the closing ceremony on Sunday. Um, the ladies will go through the weekend and little by little the scales will be removed from their eyes and they'll have to deal with forgiveness and unforgiveness um, of themselves and others. A lot of them don't have any family um, or anyone that comes to, to see them. and um, It's a very big thing, but literally Sunday morning they look different. They look completely different. I mean, they are radiant. It's amazing. And, you know, when someone makes that kind of life change, it has to be witnessed. They have to have an opportunity to tell their story, uh, to testify. Um, and when they walk into that room and there's a hundred people they don't even know that cared about them and loved them enough to come, it's amazing. It's amazing. But it really, that was how I got introduced to Kairos, is through closing. It melted my heart because then I realized this one scripture, you know, I have fed the hungry, I have given drink to the thirsty, I have given clothes, shelter, I have loved the unlovable. Um, I honestly can tell you there is no one I hate. There are people I'm unhappy with. <laughs> but I love them all. But um, I never did anything for that who was in the prison. In the prisoner, you know, I've never done anything for them. Widows, orphans, I got all that. You described part of the closings where I think our church now can get hands-on involved mm -hmm. is during the closing. There's a chain brought out. Actually, that, it's two days before because we introduced the to them the fact that 
we are in a community. You know, we are the church. Our family is the church. We are the church. Tell us what the chain represents and how we can be a part of that. Prayers. The chain represents prayers. Um, it represents um, the love of Jesus. You know, he, he wants to put his arms around us in every moment. It just, you know, depends on how stubborn we're going to be to accept it. Um, each link in this chain, you know, we, we do this talk about how God loves us and how he will meet us where we are. And we say that as Christians, but, but these ladies that are on the inside, they really understand this. I am here. How can he love me? My family left me. Everyone has abandoned me. Um, they don't like me. I don't like me. Um, whether, you know, they're there because of something they did, something they didn't do. Um, these things happen, you, you know, and, and it makes them feel, as I imagine, a lot like how I felt when I was not myself, is how could anyone love me? You know, and James told me, you're my gift from God. Um, it's prayer. It's prayer. So we ask for people before the weekend, which is coming up, to commit to pray. And the power of prayer is huge because every night that I was losing my mind and questioning whether I should continue to live, yeah, I didn't talk about that side effect. Um, James would rock me to sleep knowing I was going to have really bad nightmares, and he would out loud pray over me. And it made all the difference because I knew God did give me this husband, and we did do the sacrament of marriage. So he prayed for me, and, and I got through it, and I got well. Um, and actually, I think maybe even better than I was before. So imagine these ladies that are incarcerated. Some of them have children that are out in the world knowing that mommy's in prison. Um, imagine how their lives could be changed if, if all of us prayed for them. I mean, you know, you can't go with me on Thursday. It's a lot of preparation. You can't go to the closing. You have to have a background check. So Pastor Brian, thank you for going for me and doing that. Um, but I hope you will be in prayer about the next time of going to a closing. It's only a couple hours just to witness it. But you could go into the prison on your prayer. You don't need a background check for that. But if, if you will pray for these women and for the volunteers that have given so much time to prepare, um, there's even volunteers on the inside of ladies who've done the Kairos weekend in the past that are going to serve and help these women. Um, you know, they're all coming with walls way high, you know, and digging up their past every morning to convict themselves with it. But imagine what we could do through prayer. Um, we do have prayer vigil sheets on these stands. Um, and, and whenever you do your morning prayer or whenever you go to eat, remember that you have a choice of food. These women do not, they eat what they get, and the state would really like for it to cost 33 cents or less per meal per person. You know, think about that. They're really excited when we come because we bring special food. Um, we bring coffee, and I guess over there they drink chicory. I don't know, but 
I know everyone gets excited to see the real coffee <laughs> and the real sugar. <laughs> but, um, you know, whenever you encounter blessing or joy or happiness, um, if you could remember us in prayer, but if you will commit on the form, I then get to write uh, your first name and the time that you're going to be praying for them. And they go into this giant prayer chain, paper chain. It's rainbow colors, you know, God's promise. And they make it, and the ladies don't see it until we have a talk on the power of prayer and love of community and the church, because we are the church. It's not a building, it's us. Um, and then they bring this paper chain in, and it goes way around the room, maybe twice. And immediately, the women are convicted with the Holy Spirit. And it's powerful, and it's amazing, because some of them have not been hugged or touched lovingly in a long time. Many of them have not heard words of affirmation, maybe even ever. You know, we have meals with these ladies on the inside, and we're in tables, circle tables, arranged like families. This time I'm serving on the family of Martha. And some women, that's the first time they've ever sat down as a family to have a meal. And I've heard that so many times. Can you imagine not having a meal with your children to never have experienced such a thing? Or with your parents? It's amazing. But the prayers are, are very important. Um, we also need money. Money makes the world go around. We gotta buy the chicken. We gotta buy cookies. We used to be able to make the food ourselves and bring it in and make the cookies ourselves. It's like, I think 6,500 dozen cookies. I may have that wrong, but it's absurd. <laughs> uh, but we gotta pay for those now because we can't bring things in because I think someone brought a cell phone in and a cake, not through our ministry, but through another ministry. And so now yeah, it's no bueno. Uh, that's the other thing is you have to submit to the warden. It's the warden's house, and whatever they say goes. Because for every rule, there's a reason. Yeah. And so you just say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, and you move on. But we need money. It costs us $16,000 per weekend. And that's the meals for each person and volunteer for each day. Uh, they will get a cross. Uh, they go through a graduation ceremony where we um, you know, well, we do a forgiveness ceremony first. That's the most important. That's Saturday night. Um, and uh, I'm getting this all out of order. But it's, it's such a very big deal. And when we put that cross on them on Sunday and we give them their very own Bible, um, you know, some of these women are doing good to make $11 a month through their chores that they do on the, they call it the farm because ORW used to be a farm. It's not anymore, but they still call it the farm. Um, so they don't have things. So to give them a Bible, it's really important to them. But the most important thing is the prayer of commissioning that we get to do when we hand them that Bible. Um, it's a very big thing to be a part of that. But we have to pay for all those things, you know. They all get a notebook. They all get a prayer and share guidebook. Um, and, oh, we bring fresh flowers in, too. Every meal has fresh fresh flowers, and some of them haven't seen those in forever. Yeah, so so we need your prayers, and, um, you know, every penny counts. So our dirty work this week for you is to come beside Cynthia. Thank Cynthia. you. We're going to pray. 
And as, as we close today, we have three stations. There's one in the back, and there's two up front. We're just asking if you would be willing to commit to pray. And you can pray more than once a day. Uh, there, there's time slots on there. If you sign up for 2 a.m., you can get up at 2 a.m., but she's told me you don't have to get up at 2 a.m. <laughs> just have to be committed to, being, to be in prayer for what is going to be happening uh, at the Ohio Reformatory for Women, just a few miles from our church. And this is a harvest field, if we're honest, it's uncomfortable for many of us. That many of us will never be called to. It, it is something God calls us to. It's she, God has prepared Cynthia for this moment. And there's a lot of stepping stones in her life that we didn't get to today that have prepared her for this weekend. And I'm excited about that. And I would encourage you, maybe your Sunday school class, your small groups, if you want to hear the, the other chapters of her story, they're worth hearing and to see how God has been working. That's what he does in each of our lives. You may be sitting there and say, well, my life's not like that. Yes, it is. Maybe in different ways, but God is working. We all have stepping stones that he uses to bring us to the place where he wants to then share our story with someone else who can help them. Amy shared this a little bit ago in our worship, and I think it's relevant in your notes. We didn't get to it, but Romans chapter 10, 13 through 15. Everyone who calls the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So we are going to use our prayers to empower and encourage the feet of Cynthia this week as she goes to love on several, many, most who don't really understand what it means to be loved. I want to pray for us. We're going to pray for her, kind of a prayer of commissioning of our own, if you will, over, over Cynthia this morning. And then I want to invite you as we close, and we've gone a little long today, but it's okay. This is God's work. And we're going to pray against, um, as she shared, people who walk through the gates, you, you feel the spiritual battles that are occurring. Even right now, I believe Satan's at work, and, and those that are going to be going, and those that will be receiving, trying everything he can to distract and to make sure that darkness still has a place in the lives of those who desperately need the light. And I look forward to hearing, to witnessing, to seeing next week what that looks like and sharing with you uh, stories of victory, stories of success. Two weeks. Okay, yeah, stories two weeks of, because um, I'll be on the inside. Okay, stories I'll be in of prison how, um, how much they love the chocolate chip cookies. So that'll bring a little bit of light to everybody. Unless they have nuts in them. They leave the nuts at home. So, okay. <laughs> well, could, could I have you come down here? We're going to pray for you. Maybe I'll ask you some I invite you to stand with me, and maybe there'll be a few of you ladies who'd like to come. We're just going to surround Cynthia this morning. We're going to pray for her and pray over her that just God would go with her, and that if the Lord has spoken to you, we want her to know she does not go alone, does she? She, she goes with a faith family behind her, and then um, don't worry about second service. They, we can go as long as we want second service, and that, that's all right. This is, a, this is God's work, and we're just going to pray that the Lord goes with you. And we're going to pray in advance for the lives that are going to be forever changed. Lord, I thank you for the story we've heard today. It's one you've taken many years, even decades, to write. But it's brought us to this place, brought our friend to this place, where you are sending her into, a, uh, Lord, a harvest field that, if, if we're genuinely honest with ourselves, is very uncomfortable for us to even think about. How often do we drive by the Ohio Reformatory for Women and don't even think about those that are inside? Do we drive by and not even recognize the lives, Lord, that are lost and that are just immersed in darkness? 
that are in desperate need of you. But Lord, this week, I pray you would change our perspective. We would see that place as a harvest field, as a church, as a sanctuary, as a place where the good news is being shared, where light is being shown brightly. Now, Lord, we pray in advance right now for the hearts that need to hear about the one who has come to save them. Lord, the good news is going to be preached there. People are being sent there. Lord, we just pray right now that the, that the feet of those that have been called to, to share the good news would go with confidence, Lord, and they would, would, would share openly with, with, with recognition that the Holy Spirit even right now is going before each one. That, God, you'd be glorified. We look forward, Father, to hearing the stories, the testimonies that are coming to come out of this weekend. We read in Revelation, Lord, it's by the power of the blood and the word of their testimony, Lord, that victory is had over Satan. May we never discount the power of our stories. May we never, Lord, overlook how important it is for us to be willing to share. That each one of us, Father, has something that we can tell about the goodness of God, about your faithfulness, Lord, about how, Lord, the saving grace through the blood of Jesus Christ can change us. So, God, we just give Cynthia to you. We, Lord, look forward to hearing what's going to happen. But we're going to celebrate right now the, the good news that's going to come out of this weekend, the joy, Father, we're going to hear in the lives that will be forever changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Encourage those who want to commit to pray, please do so. We're going to tell you how big the chain is. We look forward to sharing more stories with you next week. God bless you.